0: Everyone, welcome to Health Now from WebMD. I'm your host Carrie Gan. What's going on in health and wellness this week? We've got the latest info and tips to help you take care of your body, your brain, and your well-being. Have you watched Marie Kondo's show Tidying Up? The one where she helps people sort through their things? Keep those that spark joy and gratefully let go of the rest. It's gotten a lot of buzz, and not just because of the dramatic before and after scenes in each show. There's also an emotional part to it. You know what it feels like. A photo or an object takes you back to a different time in your life or reminds you of an important part of your past. And because of those feelings, it's not so simple to just cut it out of your life. But then again, you don't want the things you own to end up owning you. Seth Gillihan, a clinical assistant professor of psychology at the University of Pennsylvania, can relate. He recently blogged for WebMD about the positive mental health benefits of getting your home in order and what happened when he and his wife gave it a try in their own house. Dr. Gillihan, thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me, Carrie. It's good to be here.
0: It's great to have you back. So, what is it about clutter that gets its hooks into us emotionally and what are the emotional perks of reigning it in?
1: Well, for different reasons we do get attached to the things that we have. They, you know, there's often a history attached to things it's you know it feels like a loss to say goodbye to those things and so at the same time we can start to feel like we're drowning in clutter and and it's stressful to be in a in a a room or a home that's dominated by stuff so so yeah I, you know I, I'm certainly not a a pro by any means I, I'm an amateur in this in the world of of organizing i you know I, I benefit from from a lot of the things that people are talking about now. But in people I work with, I've often seen you know, the the benefits that, that go way beyond just having a tidier home that really do extend into a person's emotional life.
0: And what are some of those benefits that you might notice if you really kind of tackle this problem in your own life?
1: Well, one is that it, it can provide a sense of clarity, you know, I mean, there, there really are, there are two, there's a distinction that I make that, you know, between on the one, on the one hand, there's the decluttering kind of tidying up that I think Marie Kondo emphasizes around, you know, letting go of things we don't need. And then there's the organizational side. And I think both of those have benefits and they overlap to some extent, but they're somewhat different. Because we, you know, one approach would be just you know keep all your junk, but find a really organized way of of keeping it. And that's uh, that, that I think would would not be a great solution for most of us because there is something about when we when we have to make decisions about what we keep, we have finite space. We start to prioritize. We have to think about what's most important to us. You know, in the extreme, you might think of something. Uh, you know there are these these hypotheticals and and sadly you know, it's real life situations where people are forced to run out of their home maybe you know there's a, a house fire or something and they can only grab you know two things and for for a lot of people that's like you know get the kids that's it like as as long as we and the kids get out of the house everything else can go and and beyond that you know maybe we think of some some really uh, important Possessions that that we would want to that we would want to keep, but but it can help with our priorities. And then just you know the the organizational side of it, having a place that's that where we know where where things are. This is something that my my fellow blogger and uh, writer, uh, Dr. Alice boys uh, really really helped me to see, which is the the daily frustrations that we deal with from from putting up with just kind of the the background clutter and disorganization in our lives takes a toll that we don't often recognize. So I think of it as something like, you know, if I'm making dinner, actually this is, this is not hypothetical. This was true. You know, I, I I make dinner most nights at home and it tends to be kind of a crunch time with getting, uh, you know, everything together, you know, getting home from work. uh, You know, kids have, have homework that they will have worked on um, and other things. And, and, so there's there's stress involved and and a bit of bit of time pressure so if i'm digging into the you know this drawer and trying to to get out the can opener and you know for a long time in that same drawer i had kept a a box grater and so many times i would i would grate my knuckle you know reaching into the drawer for something <laughs> else and mm-hmm. just you know feel irritated and frustrated and that could just be the you know, one more thing that then sets me up for feeling uh, I mean, angry. Really, you know. By the time I, I sit down to dinner, that can affect you know the dynamic that I bring to the table, my interactions with my wife and kids. So there really can be a a significant effect of just making our lives a little easier by investing the time up front to make it easier to interact with our environment.
0: And you know, we heard that on uh, WebMD's Facebook page too. One woman posted that getting organized and cleaning were so therapeutic and made her feel calmer and less stressed and another person mentioned the instant gratification from seeing the results of cleanup work i think we can all relate to that but it can still be a lot of work to get through all of your stuff that you accumulate how can people keep it a positive thing and and not get overwhelmed
1: i like the the approach of focusing on the advantages of what we're doing instead of of the disadvantages so it's easy to to see what we're giving up when we're, when we're paring things down or even the time involved in, you know, it's, it's an opportunity cost to clean and organize. And so if we can, can focus on, you know, what, what the benefits are going to be for cleaning up, you know, thinking about, you know, what's, what's my daily experience of my closet going to be like when I open it up and things aren't you know, spilling out onto the floor rather than thinking like, oh, this dress, and I, I wore it at this anniversary dinner, and how can I get rid of that and say goodbye? And Because with with so many things, I certainly find this, and I think a lot of people do, when we finally get rid of things that we're attached to, we don't think about them that much once they're gone. It's really in the parting that we find the, the struggle. But once it's gone, what we experience is the benefit of having whatever, whatever space and freedom that opens up. That's true. So th- yeah. So, so I think focusing on, on those advantages and, you know, like, like any kind of cognitive behavioral approach, we would want to break it down into manageable steps. So it feels doable. doesn't feel overwhelming, but you've done enough that, and you can look at it, you can see the, the benefit and that can be reinforcing for, for, you know, keeping going with it.
0: And keep those aspirational things top of mind while you're working. <laughs>
1: Yes. And the nice thing about doing these things is another, another benefit. Again, I think most people find that, that even if we have done something nice for ourselves, it still gives us this sense that someone cares about us, that someone cares enough to organize my space in a way that works. Almost like, like the past version of us feels like this external person who did this nice thing for us. Like, I I know I felt this when I opened my my newly organized closet and I was like this is so nice it almost like like it feels like a sense of oh, I guess I'm worth taking care of
0: yeah thank you past self for taking care of this for me <laughs> yes, <laughs> Making this a little yes easier like, every day
1: <laughs> that's right like packing a nice lunch and you open it, and you're like oh someone cared enough to make me a lunch even though it was me
0: <laughs> who did this that's so nice <laughs> <laughs> and you you wrote that this work can actually spark change in other parts of your life how does that happen
1: well, momentum tends to, to generalize. You know, if if we if we can get started in one area, then we can we can keep moving uh, in in other areas as long as we capitalize on that momentum. So, and it can be uh, very directly related. You know, if we're if uh, let's say we've got a, a desk that's completely out of control, that can get in the way of you know making plans or. You know, finding things that we need to maybe register for a class we've wanted to take or to start a job search. And so just by starting that process, getting some momentum, then it can feed into you know, using whatever whatever space and organization we've created then to take take the next steps.
0: So we mentioned before that you and your wife caught the Marie Kondo bug. And we're curious, how did that go when you did it yourself?
1: I haven't fully implemented it. But you know the the parts that that we've begun. I think this is a, a general phenomenon that we underestimate how good we're going to feel about having done something positive for ourselves, and you know before we've done it because it's easy to see the the aggravation that's going to be involved. Like I I think it was it was the last day of uh, winter break. I was off for a few days uh, around Christmas, and. I realized like ugh, I've been meaning to you know get this closet organized it's totally like non-functional and crammed and but when I finally decided to do it and I set aside the time and it's you know for this this whole new year it, every time I use it it's such a joy uh, and you know knowing where the batteries are not having to to search in you know four different locations in the home or or suspect like they're, they're probably somewhere else that I'm not thinking of. There's the decreased frustration that we talked about. There's, you know, really kind of freeing up mental space. And I mean, honestly, a cluttered home can be a source of tension for, for couples too, and kind of stress for families. So it's helpful that way. I can't I don't know of any specific arguments that I've avoided with my wife. We don't tend to argue about those kinds of things, but, but who knows? It could be, again, just kind of that, that one more thing that's causing this feeling of, of stress and, and uneasiness in our, uh, in our home.
0: Yeah, you never know what might happen when you decide to take the plunge and clear out some of that clutter.
1: <laughs> that's right. Yes, you don't know where it'll lead.
0: All right. Well, some great things to keep in mind as people are doing their closet purges, maybe sometime this spring. Dr. Gillihan, thank you so much for joining us.
1: My pleasure. Thank you, Carrie.
0: There are a lot of things in everyday life that can make you just plain mad. Traffic jams or the guy who cut you off. Politics or your high school friend's social media posts about them. Or maybe a bad call that costs your team a big victory. Anger is a normal human emotion, of course, but in some cases it can also be a sign that something is off with your health. People who've had a stroke, for example, can have a hard time managing their moods, especially if it damaged the part of the brain that controls emotions. Anger, frustration, and sadness are common for people who are recovering. Mood changes, like irritability or getting easily upset, can also be early signs of Alzheimer's disease. It tends to happen especially when the person gets out of their comfort zone. Other symptoms to watch for include becoming forgetful, confused, or struggling to find words. Depression often comes with anger, too. You might feel frustrated for what seems like no reason or be prone to outbursts. For women, anger and irritability are pretty standard when you're going through PMS. But if you find you're dealing with serious rage or major mood swings a week or two before your period, you may have a more severe problem called premenstrual dysphoric disorder, or PMDD, And, later in life, you might feel angry more often in the months and years leading up to menopause. It's a result of the hormone shifts that happen as your body starts to have fewer and fewer periods. Anger can also be a sign that something is off with your body's chemistry. If you have diabetes, a big dip in your blood sugar can lead to anger, crying, or confusion. If your liver fails and can't filter out toxins like it should, they can build up and affect your brain, leading to mood changes. And if you have an overactive thyroid, you can feel irritable, anxious, and restless, along with other symptoms like weight changes. Do you take statins to lower your cholesterol? These drugs can also cause aggressive, angry behavior in some people. Now if anger is out of character for you or a loved one, and you think it could be a sign of a health issue, it's worth mentioning to your doctor. They can help you figure out the cause. But how would you even know if your response to everyday irritations is an anger problem? If your rage is often intense, you hold on to it for a long time, or you've gotten physically or verbally abusive with someone because of it, it's time to get help. Even if you have a medical reason for your anger, you can still work on controlling it. Some great tools include exercise, deep breathing, visualization, and muscle relaxation. You can also work on avoiding the things that tend to tick you off, and learn ways to adjust how you react in certain situations. Did you know that March is Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month? And joining us today to talk about this type of cancer, what it is, who gets it, and how to prevent it, is WebMD Chief Medical Editor, Dr. Michael Smith. Hey, Dr. Smith. Hi, Carrie. Let's start with the basics. What is colorectal cancer?
2: Well, I mean, it's cancer that starts either in your colon or your rectum. It's actually quite common. It's the third most common type of cancer in the U.S., affecting about 130,000 people a year. It's actually, unfortunately, also quite deadly. Combined with men and women, it's the second leading cause of cancer death. So killing maybe 50,000 Americans a year. But here's why screening is so important. It's also one of the most easily screened cancers, meaning we can find it early fairly easily and potentially cure it, and so that's why screening, early testing is so critically important.
0: That is important, and and who's most likely to get this type of cancer?
2: You know, for a long time we thought it was just a disease of older people, and while still it's more common in people over fifty, we're starting to see it more commonly in people under the age of fifty, which is is quite alarming. Now there are some risk factors that you can't control, like age, right? So if you're over fifty higher risk, but still can get it younger. Other health conditions like inflammatory bowel disease increase your risk. Health history, so if you have a history of polyps or your family has a history of polyps or colon cancer, you're more likely to get colon cancer. And that's why, for those people, your doctor will monitor you more closely, again, with additional screening.
0: Okay, so you can't prevent those things, but can you do other things that prevent you from getting it?
2: Absolutely. None of these will probably be a huge surprise. Get regular exercise. Eat plenty of fruits and vegetables. Get a lot of fiber in your diet. Stay away from fatty foods. Get to and stay at a healthy weight. Limit how much alcohol you drink. And if you smoke, definitely stop. It's one of the worst things you can do for yourself.
0: All those things that we hear all the time, but they time are and time again. so helpful every for just about everything. And you mentioned screening, that colon colon cancer is easily screened for. And I think that's the thing when everyone talks about, or I think that's the thing that everyone thinks about when they think about colorectal cancer, right? The colonoscopy that a lot of people dread, unfortunately. It makes a lot of people cringe to think about it. But is it really all that bad? You know, personally, I think
2: the colonoscopy gets an unfair bad rap. And I would say that's even more true now that I've actually had one. Oh, okay. So, so you know exactly what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it's actually pretty simple procedure. You now the doctor uses a long flexible tube about the size of your finger, it has a camera and a light on the end because it allows the doctor to see the inside of your rectum and colon. I mean, very few places in your body can you actually visually see with your eyes. So the scope, yeah, it does go in your rear end, but the good thing is you'll be asleep. You won't even likely remember the, the procedure at all. Yeah, you know, I often tell people it was the best nap I ever had. Right? <laughs> so while it's happening, you won't know what's going on. You'll wake up and then you will need someone, of course, to drive you home because you will have been sedated. Really the whole procedure from the time you get there to the time you leave probably an hour to an hour and a half, the actual procedure itself, probably 20 to 30 minutes. So it's, it's quite quick, you wake up in the recovery room. Once you're good to go, you have your family member take you home, kind of take it easy the rest of the day and you'll be good to go.
0: That doesn't sound too bad. However, the prep is what I hear about often. uh, When I hear about colonoscopies, it doesn't sound like it's a lot of fun. What's going on there?
2: Well, so yeah, the prep is probably less fun than the procedure itself. So this is what you can expect. The day before the procedure, you won't be able to eat any solid food. You'll be on a clear liquid diet. Your doctor will tell you specifically what you can and can't eat. But the night before, kind of the evening before, is when the fun really starts. Now, it differs from person to person, but one thing that always involves is a strong laxative because we've got to get you cleaned out. I'll tell you a little bit about my experience as an example, and it's pretty representative of what you can expect. Okay. So in the evening, late afternoon to evening, you're going to drink your first jug of the laxative. A not, jug?
0: Is that like a gallon jug? No,
2: it's far less than that. It's probably the equivalent of a couple of, you know, two to three cups okay. Of of liquid. So it's mm-hmm. not like it used to be, not very tasty. It tastes like you're drinking a very salty, slightly thick solution, hmm. right? You do have to get it down fairly quickly. To me, it was harder not to eat the whole day than it was to drink this. So you would drink it around, let's just say 6 p.m. or so. It will depend on the timing of your procedure. And then again, before bed, you'll drink another one of those. Starts working fairly quickly. So at that point, you're at home, you're near the bathroom, you're letting it do its thing.
0: All right. So that's the colonoscopy. Are there other tests that you can use for colorectal cancer? I feel like I've seen ads on TV for some and read about others. What are your options?
2: Well, there are other tests, but, but let's be clear about the colonoscopy in that it is the best test for most people, right? Not only does it allow you to better see, actually, the lining of the intestine, it actually allows you to do something about it, like remove a polyp if you do find it. And the other advantage is it only has to be done every 10 years, assuming everything looks okay.
0: If your doctor sees a polyp or something that's concerning, they can just go ahead and take care of it during a colonoscopy.
2: Exactly. And the disadvantage of all the other tests we're about to talk about is if they do find something like a polyp, then you need a colonoscopy. Ah. Right? So a lot of those people are going to end up getting a colonoscopy anyway. So you can probably see where my preference lies. It's the best test. You know, just buckle up, drink the stuff, and go for it. Sure. So the other tests are uh, another one is the flexible sigmoidoscopy only looks at the rectum in the first part of the colon, preps a little easier, but essentially the procedure is the same, but it doesn't look at the entire colon, so you have that disadvantage, Uh, and you have to have it done every five years instead of every 10 like the colonoscopy. The virtual colonoscopy which is not really a colonoscopy at all because there's no no camera inserted into you. We're not actually visually looking at the lining of the intestine directly. Instead, it's a CT scan that takes 3D images of the lining of your intestine. From the outside of your body. From the outside. You're essentially just lying there getting a CT scan. You still need the same prep, right? You can expect the same stuff leading up to that. You're just not going to be put to sleep and have that, that procedure done, but again, they do find something, you're going to be back to a regular colonoscopy in order to get a better look and also to remove anything that they do find. And then there are also tests that look for blood in your stool. Not the best test, not one we recommend very often. Has to be done every year though if your doctor decide it's right for you. Another test that probably the one that you've seen commercials for looks for DNA in your stool. DNA changes suggest the possibility of something like cancer. The advantage is there's no prep. The disadvantage is that you actually have to collect your stool at home yourself and mail it in. And if you choose that option, then you have to do that every three years. And just as a reminder, a lot of these procedures will ultimately end up needing a colonoscopy anyway because it's the only way to get in there and remove something.
0: Gotcha. All right, so lots of choices depending on what's right for you. When and how often should someone get tested?
2: Most people testing screening will start at the age of 50. Now, the American Cancer Society recently suggested we decrease that down to age 45 for people at average risk. Some doctors are doing that, some doctors aren't. Talk to your doctor to see what's right for you. If you are at higher risk, for instance, you have a family history of polyps or colon cancer, then your doctor may very well recommend that you also begin screening before the age of 50.
0: Gotcha. All right. If you're the right age or have risk factors, there's never a better time to call your doctor and set up that appointment for your colonoscopy than colorectal cancer awareness month. And you can check out our show notes to learn more about the disease and the screening tests before you go. Dr. Smith, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. You already know that things like smoking and a lack of exercise are big contributors to heart disease. But some of the other factors that can hurt your heart might surprise you, like loneliness. Fewer connections or being unhappy with the relationships you do have raises your odds of stroke and heart disease about the same as secondhand smoke does. Make strengthening your social network a priority. Feeling connected to others is just as important as working out and eating well. If you get migraines, you'll want to pay close attention to this. Doctors aren't sure why, but you're more likely to have a stroke, chest pain, and heart attacks, especially if you have migraine with aura. Talk to your doctor about your risk and the best way to treat your headaches. If heart disease runs in your family, it may not be safe to take a type of migraine medicine called triptans because they narrow your blood vessels. And, as if you needed one more reason to get a flu shot, a recent study found that people ended up in the hospital with a heart attack six times more often in the week after they were diagnosed with the flu than in the year before and after. Doctors aren't sure why, but they think when you're fighting an infection, your blood clots more easily. And are you overworked? It's not just your social life that suffers. More people who work at least 55 hours a week have heart disease than those who work 35 to 40 hours. It could be the result of a number of things, including stress or more sitting. If you tend to stay late at work, make sure you take notice of any signs of trouble and check in with your doctor. If you have a short fuse, you're almost five times more likely to have a heart attack after being furious. And in the two hours after an outburst of rage, the chance of stroke or a racing heartbeat goes up too. If you regularly lose your cool, consider an anger management class or therapy to lower your risk of heart trouble. And for anyone taking ADHD medication, you should know that the stimulant drugs that help you focus also raise your heart rate and blood pressure. Over time, that can lead to heart problems. Talk to your doctor about whether the benefits of your meds outweigh the risks to your heart. And listen up, parents. You love your kids, of course, but they may also up your risk of heart disease. And the odds go up slightly with each child. Experts aren't sure what's behind this phenomenon, but since it's true for both men and women, they know that biology is probably not the reason. Okay, believe it or not, your height is a factor too. For every two and a half inches less than average height, your heart disease risk goes up by about 8%. Shorter people tend to have higher cholesterol and triglycerides, and that's possibly because the ways your body controls height and your bad LDL cholesterol and triglycerides overlap in some way. Time for our tweak of the week. Check the first five ingredients on packaged food. If salt or sodium is one of the first five ingredients, it's probably got too much sodium in a serving. Now, you can still check the Nutrition Facts label and figure out exactly how much is in a serving. But if you're short on time or just want to keep things simple, the first five ingredients are a good place to start. That's all for this week. Thanks so much for tuning in. Talk to you next time.